Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe my sight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Do your patients know what presbyopia is? There are people who are afraid of the press. Have you talked to your patients about multifocal contact lenses? I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Do you need help with your multifocal strategy? Learn more at the conclusion of this episode. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Great news, you can now watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. And be sure to catch our health radio show Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Central Time on AM 1280, The Patriot. Today's guest, board-certified Harvard-trained urologist, Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, is a leading international figure in the field of testosterone therapy, prostate cancer, and male sexuality. Dr. Morgenthaler pioneered modern use of testosterone therapy in men and is credited with shattering decades-old belief that testosterone therapy is risky for prostate cancer. Dr. Morgenthaler has published over 180 scientific articles. He's the author of the best-selling books, The Truth About Men and Sex, The Viagra Myth, and Testosterone for Life. Dr. Morgenthaler, it's a pleasure to uh, speak with you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And, and really, I just want to thank you. And I want to ask you, are you the modern-day Dr. Semmelweiss? <laughs> No, but you know, the uh, thank you for that lovely introduction. I'll tell you, it's been a very interesting uh, 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 journey for me, if you will, uh, in my professional uh, career. Um, you know, people know me now both in academic circles and also in the public as, you know, being uh, an expert in testosterone, you know, a field to which I've really dedicated amazingly 40 40 years of my life it's it's amazing but you know it runs in a in in a it's amazing how life is in full circle so i started working with testosterone when i was 19 years old as an undergraduate at harvard college working in the lab of the brilliant evolutionary biologist named david cruz 
who went on the University of uh, Texas in Austin. And, and the project was to work with uh, lizards. It was a reptile lab of all things. And, um, and I was interested in biology. I thought I was gonna be a biologist. And uh, it was fascinating. It was about, you know, the, these lizards, these, the guys, the little anoles you see in uh, all over Florida and in the Carolinas, just regular, you know, four inch lizards. And, um, and if you put a male in with the female, they have this bright colored flap of skin that comes out. It's called a dewlap. And many people have seen that. You'll just see them alone. But when it's a sexual behavior, when you put a female in the cage with them, their head goes up and down very quickly. And that's their sexual behavior. And then the female, if her hormones are okay, will do a little push-up. Uh, the kind of says she's receptive. The male comes closer, and he repeats this behavior with the dewlap coming out and the head bobbing up and down. It's almost as if the male is saying, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and eventually they mate. And the project was to take castrated males, and if you castrate them, you remove their testicles, they have no testosterone anymore. And the castrated males don't have any sexual interest. We call that libido. You put them in a cage, the females, they don't do anything. Um, and my project was to put testosterone in their itsy bitsy little brains in the areas that we knew were um, uh, related to sexual behavior and if i was able to get testosterone in their brain in the right parts of their brains um you'd put them in a cage with the females and their whole sexual behavior would come out again and it was amazing the project took three years my first paper on testosterone was 1978 and um and that was that and i went off to medical school and uh six years of residency and first in general surgery and then urology and specialized in male sexual uh, problems and male infertility. And what was, I came out in 1988, and what was amazing was that I found testosterone again. And at the time when I came out, there was almost no testosterone used in this country or around the world. And the reason was that everybody was certain, not suspicious of, but certain that it caused prostate cancer. So it was considered absolutely dangerous. And the only people who were getting testosterone, the very few rare cases in this country, were young men who had lost their testicles to trauma or uh, testicular cancer, some people with some genetic issues where they made very little testosterone, and some men who'd had um, surgery to remove their pituitary gland or had a hypothalamic problem in their brain. And because it, it was known that in order to sort of go through puberty and to sort of be a man, if you will, to get a beard, Adam's apple, um, it, that you needed some testosterone. But even in those rare cases, when they, these guys hit around 40 or so, testosterone stopped because people were worried it caused prostate cancer. And so when I came out of my training, um, we didn't have much to offer men who had sexual issues. And um, it would be 10 years before Viagra would show up. We didn't even know that was <laughs> a thought. And because of my experience with lizards and their sexuality, I asked myself, could testosterone work in men? Could men be like lizards? And the answer was that they were. And so I started treating men with testosterone and they did super. 
But there was this fear, especially for me as a urologist, we worry about prostate cancer. There was a fear that I might be doing a disservice to them and increasing their risk of prostate cancer. And so I started following very closely my men and, and ended up publishing a number of papers that were shocking to a lot of people because the data did not support the old belief that testosterone caused prostate cancer. And that's how I got started with it. It's amazing how you know, one thing that happened when I was 19, you know, like a chance, a chance uh, occurrence that I ended up in that particular laboratory working on that particular project would really end up dictating uh, really the rest of my professional career. You know, a hundred years from now, when people talk about testosterone, they're going to, they're going to think of you and for being such a pioneer and being so brave to be able to give testosterone to men who are suffering because men are suffering out there that have lack of testosterone. And it's, it's estimated about 20 million men. It's probably a lot more than that. And 90%, 20 million men that are deficient in testosterone and, and 90% of them don't even know it. So why is it when people go into the doctor for routine labs, they don't test for testosterone generally, but I've noticed lately a little bit more of an uptick on general physicians, PCPs, now testing for testosterone. You could talk a little bit about that. And should, you know, I always thought, you know, insulin is the, the most important test that doctors aren't testing for, the most important labs. But I think it's probably testosterone. If you could talk about that. Well, I agree with you, Carrie. I actually, I actually... You know, we're not limited to just testing for one thing uh, for people, but I would say that certainly for men, uh, if you had to pick one blood test that would give you the most information about a person's health status, that blood test is testosterone. And the reason I say that is, is because as you point out, testosterone deficiency is common. It causes a whole variety of symptoms where some people can be miserable. Some people may have milder symptoms, but you know, as we get older, our levels go down and guys don't feel right. Um, and the amazing thing is we now have level one evidence. We have the highest quality evidence that testosterone is very uh, important and associated with some of the uh, most important health issues uh, that we deal with in this country. Obesity, type two diabetes, osteoporosis, anemia, uh, dementia they have data on, and, and, uh, and frankly, even uh, mortality. We have what are called meta-analyses, which are studies of studies, you know, where the researchers take all the studies in a certain area, they put them all together, and they combine the data, and they look at it. And it's considered the highest level of evidence. Um, it's called a meta-analysis. And, and those show that men who have low levels of testosterone die sooner than men who have normal levels of testosterone. Um, if that doesn't wake people up, I don't know what, what would. But you know what you're saying, you hit upon something that is very important and uh, sort of near and dear to my heart, which is that there is an amazing resistance or lack of acceptance in sort of the mainstream medical community uh, for even testing testosterone, let alone treating it. And uh, 
it's shocking to me. I am a mainstream medical doctor. I trained at Harvard all the way through Harvard College, Harvard Medical School, Harvard Residency. I've been on the faculty of Harvard for over 30 years. Um, uh, I published scientific articles. I've done randomized control trials, epidemiologic studies, um, diurnal studies where we follow people, whatever. And, um, and the date, not just me, of course, but there are investigators worldwide where the wealth of information around testosterone and its importance for health is unarguable. It's, it's, it's powerful. And yet, most medical doctors are told that testosterone, it's not important to test for it. Testosterone deficiency is just the normal part of aging, uh, often they're told. And they think that testosterone therapy is fringe medicine, fringe medicine. And of course, it's nothing of the sort. And I'm convinced that part of the problem is um, that testosterone has a bad rap. Um, everybody thinks that they know something about testosterone, you know, and, and, and not just doctors, but lay people too, because we use it in colloquial language. You know, when something happens on the stock market, they say the traders were in a testosterone frenzy, right? No, they weren't. They were in a frenzy, but it had nothing to do with testosterone. They say every, every kind of bad behavior that males are supposed to exhibit, toxic masculinity, is tied into testosterone. It's a stand-in, I think, in sort of our social discussions as um, it's a stand-in for, for, for maleness. And it's, although it's true that men have more testosterone than women by a factor of about 10, you know, testosterone actually is, has really important effects in women too. It's, and, and women can be deficient in testosterone, usually after menopause. And testosterone therapy is, um, I was part of a white paper with a, a really uh, august group of investigators last year um, of a white paper that was published in several journals about the use of testosterone therapy in men, uh, in women, I'm sorry. It's effective, it's safe, and um, that's a whole other story, but also not, not used very much. And I'm convinced, and you know, in medical circles, we've thought for years that it caused prostate cancer. That was the reason it was sort of held off. And, and then more recently, there was a scare story in uh, 2013 there was an article published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that got enormous attention in the media, enormous. Um, the testosterone therapy seemed to increase the risks of heart attack, strokes, and death. Um, there were a lot of problems with that paper, and 29 uh, medical societies um, uh, petitioned uh, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, to retract the article because <laughs> there were some serious problems with it. They didn't. Um, but that news around that is off is really what penetrated the average doctor's mind. That was the one headline they know about testosterone. And all the subsequent data has shown that that data was incorrect. And if anything, testosterone looks like it may be beneficial in terms of heart attack, strokes, and death. But so testosterone has a bad rap. And I'm, I've been convinced for years that if testosterone came out as a new molecule or a new drug today, and it had a different name that nobody was familiar with, 
product 123ABC. And it got a trade name like, I don't know, Dr. Kelp. <laughs> um, that drug with the studies that are behind it would be touted as the most important uh, medical advance uh, of the last 20 years. Because the, the number of items that it helps with in terms of health and the safety and its effectiveness uh, is just so impressive. I think it, what's interesting is testosterone affects so many different parts of the body. So when somebody has symptoms and they go on testosterone, a lot of times they can't pinpoint what they feel better because it makes so many parts of the body feel better because there are so many androgen receptors in different parts of the body and the testosterone is adhering to that. So uh, the, the man will just feel, have an overall feeling of feeling better. If you could comment on that. Yeah. So, well, you're exactly right. Listen, the, the way that I, the way that I got started with this, I, I had no agenda. I didn't start med. You know, when, when I started doing this work, I came out of my residency in 1988. I joined one of the Harvard teaching hospitals, Beth Israel Hospital, now called Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, where I'm still associated. And my job, as I saw it, as a young, new <laughs> academic uh, faculty person was to become as good as I could at what was sort of the existing knowledge. You know, we come out and we, we think we're safe and knowledgeable, but it takes a long time before you're really, really, really good at anything. And you just have to, I just wanted to know how to do the things that I was supposed to know and, and to do them. And I'm a surgeon and all that. I wanted to be good at the regular things. And testosterone was scary. And, and some of the comments that, I, that doctors learn about testosterone and prostate cancer for decades was that it's like pouring gasoline on a fire for prostate cancer or feeding a hungry tumor. And I used those expressions myself in teaching the medical students and, and the residents, the trainees. What happened to me was that I had patients who were desperate. They would come in and they would say, um, my wife, my marriage is in shambles. My wife doesn't understand why I'm not interested in having sex with her. Um, I just don't have desire. I have trouble having an orgasm. It's just, I'm so, it's just so different than it used to be. My wife says she's going to leave me, things like that. Um, and there often, as I asked, you know, there were other things going on with them, you know, like they had less energy, they were tired. They didn't feel good. They were depressed. And, and, you know, the history of some of this is also interesting. So in the late 1980s, and, and erectile problems, erectile dysfunction often, uh, uh, if you don't have libido, if you don't have drive, it's really hard to have an erection. <laughs> sex, sex is one of the strangest of all human and animal activities, right? It's totally different than anything else that we do. And it's a drive, it's a basic animal instinct. And if the desire isn't there, you're not gonna get the blood flow to the penis to get an erection. And, um, and you know, we talk about men and I've spent, you know, the focus of my practice over all these years has really been men. And, and you know, we sort of, there's a negative feeling about men and sexuality, but it's really just part of who human beings are, both men and women. Um, 
And when people are young and hormones are good, I think it's hard to say who has more libido, men or women. As we get older, maybe some of that changes or in relationships, but it's a normal part of who we are. And, and the men who were coming to see me were unhappy often because their marriages were or their relationships were in trouble. And we didn't have pills like Viagra. And they basically said, Is there, isn't there anything that you can offer me? And some of these men were second opinions and third opinions. And, and, and the first guy I hit on, I had a few guys, I said, um, maybe we can try testosterone. I didn't even know how to use it. In six years of residency, I'd never prescribed it once. Um, and so I went to an endocrinologist who was experienced in my hospital. I said, how do you treat? And she said, um, well, you give an injection of 200 milligrams of testosterone cypionate every month, every four weeks. That'll, that'll work. And it was known already that it, testosterone was useful for bone density, believe it or not bone density. So men get osteoporosis like women do, but on average about a decade later. And in both cases, it's hormonal. In women, it's usually because of estrogen loss after menopause. And in men, it's related to testosterone deficiency. And so I, I lined up three guys and I had my nurse give them injections every four weeks. And the guys came back and I said, what did you notice? And I had no expect. I didn't know what they would notice. I mean, I really had no idea. I, I didn't have any colleagues I knew of that were doing this work. And uh, and the three guys, each of them, it it was uh, fantastic for them. But they told me an interesting story, and all of them had more or less the same story. Some of the symptoms were different. Some of the benefits were different, but the story was similar. Doc, at the beginning, for the first couple of weeks after the injection, I'm like a new man. I'm like I used to be. Um, my drive is back. My erections are better. I, 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 I'm more optimistic when I wake up in the morning. I haven't felt that way in, you know, in 10 years. I don't fall asleep after meals like I used to. Is that, that all sounded pretty cool. And I didn't even know how much of that was related to testosterone. I thought, the sexual symptoms, sure, that makes sense to me, <laughs> given my work with animals, with the lizards. But the other stuff, I'm nicer, my wife likes me more. You know, maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe these guys know they're like influenced by the fact that they know they're getting sort of the male hormone testosterone and, and it's like a placebo effect for them. But the thing that really convinced me and, and maybe the sexual symptoms could have been a placebo effect too. Three people isn't a lot of people. But what convinced me was that the men had another part of their story. And what they said was, so that's how I feel for the first two weeks, but I'm getting an injection every four weeks. And for a week or two before my next injection, it's like all my symptoms come back. What's up with that? And I didn't know. Until I went to the books and looked at how long the testosterone stays in the body at higher levels after an injection. And the answer is on average, it's good for about 12 to 14 days at the dose that we gave. And so what these men were saying to me, and there was no way that they could know this, this wasn't easily found information. What they were saying to me was that when their levels of testosterone were higher, they felt good. 
And when their levels dropped again, they became symptomatic and felt lousy again. And this could be repeated with every injection. It turns out that an injection every four weeks, which was the standard at the time, is inadequate. You can't wait that long because the medicine isn't in the system that long. For something like bone density, which again was part of the reason that it was given for some of these men, it's fine. The bone will respond, you know, even though the testosterone is better for only a part of that time. That's fine. The bones will respond. And, um, but the guys, in terms of their symptoms, don't. You know, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going off too long on these stories, but, but how this worked and how it started, I think is important for your listeners. So, like I said, there's no agenda. What happened was that these men responded in a way that was, I, I don't have any other words for it, fabulous, impressive. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. MacuHealth, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. In medicine, we love placebo, and they would think it would be a placebo, but since it worked for the first two weeks and then the men crashed, then we knew it wasn't placebo. You knew Exactly right. It couldn't be placebo. And so I started making, I started testing testosterone routinely for my patients who came in with any sexual symptoms. And for many men who came in to see me for other things, because it became clear to me as I started researching this and offering it to more and more men, that uh, the quality of life for these men with a normal, normalized testosterone was so much better than what they had before. And, you know, there were, I once had a, psychi a psychiatrist who came to see me relatively early days. I'd been doing it for a while at that point. And he was a, probably in his early 60s. And, um, and we put him on testosterone and he responded really well. He felt better. His mood was better. It, it turned out that he had been self-treating himself with antidepressants. Um, Doctors are notorious for self-treating themselves, sure. and and um, and he felt so good, and his mood was so improved on testosterone. He went off his antidepressants, and what he said to me was, he says, you know, all these years I've seen a lot of men in their late forties, fifties, sixties, and I've called this period where men sort of lose their mojo, if you will. He said I called that middle-aged malaise. And that's what I called it, and I treated them for that. And now I'm wondering, based on my own experience, he said, how much of that was actually related to low testosterone? Why do you think testosterone decreases as men get older? And I guess women also. Do you think it's environment? What do you think is causing it? What we eat or just aging? But why does the body decide that it's not going to make as much testosterone? Well, I don't think it's a decision. I think that it's something that happens. You know, I'm I'm, I'm in my mid sixties now, and uh, things don't work as well as they used to, right? Um, 
uh, I still am active and athletic and, but you know, my reflexes aren't as fast. Um, uh, my joints are why the real question I think that you're asking is, is why does aging do this? And I don't think we've got really a, a good understanding of what aging is. I mean, in some cases we know that we lose the active cells and they get replaced by scar tissue or fibrotic, you know, fibrocytes. Um, uh, but clearly what happens is that, so, you know, how men make testosterone and women have a, a, a parallel system is that the main source of testosterone, are the test, excuse me, the testicles. Testicles do two things. They make sperm and they make testosterone. That's really what they do. And as we get older, they become less uh, able to put out testosterone in good, at good numbers. There's a second issue, which is we have this uh, really sophisticated system that controls our hormone levels, testosterone in particular. And um, it involves the pituitary gland in the brain and the hypothalamus, which sort of sits just above it. And the hypothalamus and the pituitary both are able to sense how much testosterone is in the bloodstream as it flows past certain specific cells. And when it's lower, they have a mechanism where they can increase a signal to the testicles. It's called luteinizing hormone or LH. They can increase that signal and that'll tell the testicles to make more testosterone. And what happens as we age is that that sensing mechanism also becomes less sensitive. And so we have a combination of two problems, really, that are associated with aging. Uh, testicles make less testosterone. And the sensing mechanism in the brain, pituitary and hypothalamus, that normally would send a signal to compensate, make more testosterone, becomes less sensitive and doesn't send out that signal as avidly as it should. Um, now, there are other reasons why we lose testosterone. You know, the, um, uh, uh, there's some uh, medications that can affect it. Um, uh, there is some uh, obesity, it turns out, lowers testosterone. Uh, and some people think that the problem with so much low testosterone isn't testosterone, but actually obesity. And if you correct it, maybe it'll get better. But the, the, the point is, is that our, our bodies just aren't as effective as we get older, and that's just so. And I don't think anybody has yet elucidated exactly what the mechanisms are by which aging affects not just testosterone production, but many other uh, things that we, we know happen with aging. So what blood tests, we talked about labs, there's free testosterone, there's total testosterone, there's bioavailable testosterone. Which are the ones that you rely on to make a decision? And is it symptoms plus labs or is it just labs? And which one of the labs is most important? Is it, to me, it makes sense that it would be free testosterone, but I guess we would want to look at all of them. And what is optimal? Because yeah, we could say normal testosterone total is between 300 and a thousand, but that's a big range, you know, but what, just like vitamin D, you know, you know, the labs will say vitamin D is normal, I don't know, over 30 but we know we really optimal is over 50, 50 to 80. And so what is it with testosterone? And which of the three is the most important and should be done when the men that are watching this go to their doctor and they say, look, doc, I want to get my testosterone tested. Yeah. So the conventional answer is that everything is based on total testosterone. And if you're, you have a doctor, if one of your listeners goes to their doctor and say, please check my testosterone, the testosterone test that will be ordered is usually one and it's called total testosterone, but it's not the best. 
Um, so, uh, and the reasons why it's uh, usually recommended by some of the professional societies as the main test is historical. That's the test that has been used for a, dec a couple of decades. And, um, and people were uncertain about the other tests. But it's now clear that free testosterone and possibly bioavailable testosterone are much better indicators of a man and certainly a woman's um, uh, uh, testosterone status. And the explanation is clear cut. This isn't really an opinion. It's based on how the body works and also uh, scientific evidence. So testosterone is a hormone. A hormone by definition is a chemical that's made in one part of the body and has actions elsewhere in the body. So thyroid hormone is made in the thyroid gland, goes throughout the body. Um, uh, and uh, insulin's made in the pancreas, goes throughout the body to all the different cells and involved with glucose. Testosterone is made largely in the testicles. There's a little bit made in the adrenal glands for both men and women. Uh, in women, most of the testosterone made in the ovaries. Uh, and then, um, and for women, as they go through menopause, the ovaries stop working as well. Uh, they stop making testosterone too. So, but testosterone as it circulates in the bloodstream is attached to a carrier molecule uh, to which it's bound very tightly. And it's called sex hormone binding globulin. And we abbreviate it usually as SHBG. And the nature of its binding to that, so as it circulates, it's attached to that molecule. And the nature of that binding is that it is so tight that as the combination of testosterone and SHBG go past a cell that is hungry for testosterone because it's deficient, the testosterone can't come off. It's, it's too tight. So we call that portion, uh, but it's measured in the total testosterone. And we call that portion non-biologically available or non-bioactive. Much of the rest of testosterone is also attached to carrier molecules or proteins. Uh, the most common protein in our blood is albumin and testosterone binds to albumin very well. Um, but it's what we call weakly bound. So it comes on and off all the time. And in theory, uh, if it sees a cell that needs it, it can come off. Only about one or 2% of the testosterone is attached to nothing. It's unbound, it's unattached, and we call that free testosterone. The reason that, and, and the data are, so if, and, and so here's the impact. If somebody has a lot of SHBG and the variability is enormous from one individual to another, and, and my group has published on that, it means if you have a high level of SHBG, it's, sort of binding a lot of the testosterone, your total testosterone test may look normal, but there may be very little free testosterone. Um, and I would say the total testosterone is useful in about two thirds of men, but there's another third where they have completely normal total testosterone levels. They're very symptomatic and, um, and their free testosterone is gonna be low. And a lot of doctors aren't aware that those men are truly deficient in testosterone and won't treat them because they were taught on the total testosterone. So long answer to your question. The short answer is free testosterone is better than total. The data that support that, one of the best studies come from the European Male Aging Study, um, where they took men and they looked at uh, where they had symptoms 
if they had a normal total testosterone and a low free testosterone or the reverse, a low free testosterone with the normal total. Did I say that right? <laughs> one, one of them is low in one case, one of them is low in the other case. And it turned out that if the total testosterone is low, but the free testosterone was normal, which can happen, those men had no symptoms. If the total testosterone was um, normal, but free testosterone was low, those men have all the symptoms. So symptoms follow free testosterone, not total testosterone. And part of the resistance to accepting free testosterone is there have been claims made over the years that the testing for free testosterone isn't reliable, it's not accurate. Um, it's simply not so, and we've published you know, clear data on that too, but that was the, that's a bias among some of the endocrinologists. So if one of your listeners thinks that they have the symptoms of low testosterone, their sex drive is down, erections are poor, they're tired, they're working out, but they can't seem to sort of progress as they work out. They're gaining fat, even though they're watching what they're eating, maybe their mood is off. They feel grayed out or blah. Um, they should ask the doctor to get a blood test for testosterone, but not just total testosterone. I would say total and free. And bioavailable, just to go back, bioavailable is all the testosterone portions that are not attached to SHBG. So there's some, I have a European colleague who I think very highly of who uses bioavailable and thinks it's great. And I believe him. I personally never used it much. I don't have much comment about it. In the United States, we don't see much use of bioavailable testosterone by testosterone experts. But in theory, it should be useful as well. If you're using free testosterone and you're using the one that's PG over MLs, the, the, the number that anything under 100 would be low, is that correct? Well, it depends who you listen to. So, and, and some of the numbers in the units can change and it makes it complicated for people, but the most common uh, way to look at it is is picograms or PG per milliliter, um, and um, and like the Quest Lab will report it out that way, and they're they're national. Most their own what they call reference ranges. So for every blood test you get, glucose, thyroid, whatever, the lab will publish a range of values between what's you know what's normal, low to high, and below it is low, and above it is too high. And they do that for testosterone levels too, but those reference ranges that they provide are not clinically based. In other words, it's not based on symptoms. And we published a paper years ago where my fellow just called up 25 different labs around the country <laughs> and asked them what testosterone tests that they were using you know, what was the name of the kit, because they're made by different manufacturers, and what their reference ranges were. And out of 25 labs, there were 17 different reference ranges given. And many of those labs that used different ones were using the same equipment and the same everything. They just had different values that they put out. So that gets confusing for people. But in my practice, and I would say that I probably over the years, I mean, I don't say this to brag. It's just, I was doing it by myself for so many years. I've probably seen and treated as many men with testosterone as, as anybody else on this planet. Um, it's clear to me that men who have symptoms and have a, a free testosterone less than 100 picograms per mil 
have a very high probability of um, responding well if they're treated. So it's a low and, level. And, and do you have an optimal level for free testosterone or total testosterone? Like that you're looking, because, you know, it's just like with TSH, you know, they, you know, depending on the lab, up to five could be normal. And a lot of people, they have five, they can't, you know, they're miserable, they're tired, you know. So is there like an optimal, an optimal level that you're looking at from your experience? Forget about the studies. What do you think from just your experience? So, you know, so the reason somebody comes to, comes to see me and comes to see most physicians who do this work is really because they have symptoms. They, they, they don't feel right. And, um, and the goal is to make them feel better. So they have symptoms. And the symptoms usually are, I, I put them in two categories, sexual symptoms and non-sexual symptoms. Sexual ones are uh, libido or desire isn't there as much. Uh, erection's not as good. They don't wake up with morning erections like they used to. Uh, they have difficulty achieving an orgasm. Uh, the intensity of the orgasm is reduced. Those are the sexual symptoms. Non-sexual symptoms tend to be things like fatigue, uh, can't work out like they used to, motivation's gone, brain doesn't feel sharp, uh, the mood may not be as good, um, they've gained fat even though like it doesn't make sense to them. Those are the usual, most common symptoms that we see, poor sleep. Um, so I'm trying to make those better. And people are funny. We're, we're so, we're, you know, people do, scientists do studies in rats, mice. Those mice are all basically genetically, they're like identical twins. They're, they're basically clones. And the biology from one rat to another doesn't differ. Humans aren't like that. We're a melting pot of all this genetic stuff and how we respond is different. And the reason I'm saying that is, Somebody comes in, let's say their total testosterone is 250 and they've got symptoms and I treat them and we get them up to 400. And let's say most labs will say, or the FDA says 300 to 1000 is the normal range for, for testosterone. Okay. So let me just say right away that if you get somebody to 310, you've done nothing for them. There is nobody who feels fantastic in the 300s. Like they just don't, even though technically that's now a normal testosterone level. But there's some people get into the 400s and they feel great. They say, I feel like myself again. I don't have any need in, in that patient to change their dose, to increase it. There are other people come back in the 400s, other men, and they say, you know, maybe I notice a little something, but not that much. Well, I'm gonna try and treat that person with a higher dose. And they may come back with a testosterone of 700 or 800. And many of them, the majority of them, uh, will then say, oh my God, this is what I had wanted to feel like. So it, my goal is the resolution of the symptoms by normalizing testosterone. And it's gonna, that, that number is gonna be different for different people. It's also hard to dial in a number. The, 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 you know, there are different ways to give testosterone. The one that gives in some ways the most stable numbers in terms of like trying to dial in a target number are probably the topical products, the creams, the, the gels um, that the people rub in, the guys rub in every day. And for the most part, that gives you a relatively stable testosterone until it usually lasts about 24 hours and then it drops. There are now some oral testosterone products that are um, 
that look very good. Our experience with them is still pretty limited last a few years, but they raise testosterone on average for like four to eight hours and then it drops. So you have to take them twice a day. So where you get your blood test will depend how long after they've taken their dose. And with injections, injections will be stable over the course, you know, hour by hour, they're fine. But the injections peak at around day two or three, and then they drop. And if guys are on a weekly injection regimen, by day seven, they're back off and back down to where they started at a low number before they get their next thing. So, you know, a target number, you have to almost say target for what kind of treatment you're giving them and target for whether they've had their dose or not and where they are in, the, in their cycle. Let me say something about, about targets. So there are some groups out there that recommend uh, testosterone levels way above 1,000. And again, let's say normal is 1,000, uh, top normal is 1,000 as defined by the FDA. There are very few individuals. There are very few, even super healthy 24-year-old men, 20-year-old men who have their peak lifetime testosterone who have a level of 1,000. Average levels for younger guys, if you measure it in the morning, is somewhere around 500 to 600. If you look at healthy men who don't have testosterone deficiency in their 50s and 60s, it's usually in the 400s. Those are the average numbers. And, but to see a testosterone of 800, 900 naturally, uh, it happens. I've seen it in young guys, but it's not common. And in a 50 or 60-year-old, I've never seen it. But there's some people who have taken, and so the some and so there's some individuals and some groups that recommend testosterones as high as 1,800, 1,500. Um, very popular group, 1,200 is their goal. Um, it's hard to say whether it's right or it's wrong. It's almost like a philosophical decision. Um, you know, my own feeling about this is, you know, sort of the, in medicine in general, we, we usually want the lowest dose that's going to work for somebody. The higher doses you get into, the more likely you're, you're going to get some complications or adverse effects, things we don't want. Um, in younger guys, for example, a limiting factor is often acne. Guys it may not have had a pimple in 20 years and they go on testosterone and they get, you know, pimples on their back, sometimes big ones on their face and they don't like it. And, and often that's related to peak levels. So we can still often get their levels up, but we have to do something so that we're not getting the super high levels. And, um, uh, and also testosterone, one of the side effects is that the red blood cell count can go up more than we wanted to. Going up a little bit is probably beneficial. Red blood cells carry oxygen. The Tour de France guys used to cheat by trying to get their uh, more red blood cells by different ways because uh, it was good for them. But when it gets up too high, we worry about the viscosity or the thickness of the blood being too much. We worry about risks. Not a lot of evidence that that's so, but in theory, we worry about it. And so for me, uh, my goal is to give people back norm, re, normal levels of testosterone to a point where they feel good and their symptoms are better. There is an argument that maybe we should, uh, you know, when, when we use steroids like cortisone, 
we're not giving back, somebody goes on prednisone for some medical condition. It's very rare that they're given such a low dose that it just mimics what the body normally can put out. We use high dose steroids for all sorts of things and we use it because it's effective in many cases. And one could make an argument, there's a theoretical argument that the same may be true for testosterone. Maybe guys are better at 1800 than they are at 900. But I don't have any evidence for that to be true. It's a different way of treating people. And uh, I think that the side effects are greater. And so I tend to not uh, promote that. The one thing that, you know, for most things like um, symptoms, like somebody has low sex drive, there's a threshold. There's a, a, a number for that guy that once you get there, his sex drive comes back. But giving him more and more testosterone doesn't make him, <laughs> doesn't get him howling at the moon. <laughs> you know, so let's say that number from his 500 says, doctor, I'm back. I'm having sex with my wife, you know, once or twice a week. It's like, it's back to where we used to be. Um, if you give him a ton more, he's not going to be having sex, you know, 20 times a day. Like, it's not what happens. It, it sort of maxes out. So um, the one thing that doesn't max out is muscle. And that's why, that's why bodybuilders take incredibly large amounts of androgens. Androgens is a class of molecules that includes testosterone. But there's some types of androgens, anabolic steroids, that are much more potent for muscle than testosterone is. And they can get to levels 50 to 100 times normal. So that's why you see them all bulked up. You get a normal guy and you treat him normally with testosterone, none of those guys will look like they're super, you know, super bulked up. They may look good, but you still got to put in the time in the gym and, you know, whatever else. And they're not going to look like their muscles have muscles like some of those guys. So what are the side effects when bodybuilders are taking those anabolic, uh, those anabolic steroids that include testosterone? You know, it, it, I guess the body makes about seven milligrams when it's making testosterone, about seven milligrams a day. They're taking 100 milligrams injecting the bodybuilders. And a, a lot of bodybuilders do die young and they get blood clots and heart attacks and all kinds of problems. So what what are the side effects of your and how much different are those is that form of testosterone than the form than the bioavailable form that that the doctors are giving whether it's the gels or the injections or the pellets right so you know the reason that bodybuilders and some athletes take uh, these different kinds of anabolic steroids and technically testosterone is an anabolic steroid so um, a steroid is just a certain shape of a molecule. Like it's, you know, it's got these four rings, um, and anabolic just means that it builds things up, usually muscle. Um, so testosterone is an anabolic steroid, but it's not usually what we're talking about when we hear about, uh, athletes who are cheating or bodybuilders taking anabolic steroids because testosterone isn't potent. It's not as potent as many of these other drugs in terms of building muscle but they can use it as part of a regimen. They almost always are using multiple agents. And most of those agents, most of those anabolic steroids have never been adequately studied in humans. Some of them are called designer anabolic steroids. They're like new molecules. There are no studies on them. And some of these things have been used in horse, horses and cattle, like Winstrol. 
and their effects in humans at, at any dose is largely unknown. And so when you hear about somebody who had like a heart attack or a stroke and they were young and otherwise healthy and they're doing this, the truth is we don't know what they were taking often. We don't, it's, it's not prescribed by a physician in a physician's office. They usually get these drugs through their trainers or through gyms or on the black market. Um, you know, just like you hear about sort of street drugs being cut now with fentanyl added to it, even though it's not supposed to be that. The problem with street drugs is, is we don't know what's in them. And even if it was just pure, whatever agent it is they're taking, we don't know what, what really all that does either. Having said that, there's really only one major side effect that we know of from these, which is that they can cause infertility for men. And that's true for testosterone too. So normally we the testosterone is made in the testicle because the developing, like that's the location for its production. It's not a coincidence or an accident. It's not random. It's because the developing sperm cells need very high levels of testosterone um, to go through their, their development. So if all they saw was the average blood levels in, in the blood, that would not be enough to support uh, the process we call spermatogenesis, the making of sperm. So they need high levels. And when we give an outside source of testosterone, we call it exogenous testosterone, it turns off the pituitary gland in the brain. It senses there's enough testosterone. It stops sending or greatly suppresses the signal to the testicles to make its own testosterone. And, um, and we stop making sperm or stop making as much sperm. A lot of people on testosterone have zero sperm counts or very low sperm counts. Usually it recovers when they stop it. They've been trying to do studies with testosterone as a contraceptive for men for decades. And the reason you don't hear about it, uh, why it's not approved for that is that too many of these men will have small numbers of sperm that still <laughs> are in there. And for contraception, you need a, a pretty, you know, like 99.99% like uh, as, uh, efficacy. So we don't have it. So they, in contraceptive studies, they combine it with progesterone and other things, but we don't have that yet. But when the testicles stop making testosterone, uh, stop making sperm, they also get smaller. And so um, uh, men will notice if they go on testosterone, their testicles make it a little bit smaller. We call it atrophy. Again, usually if you stop testosterone, it'll improve. But the bodybuilders who are using things that are not testosterone, I've seen quite a few of those men in my infertility practice who have what we call TWT, which stands for teeny weeny testicles. <laughs> it's a medical term. And uh, no, I'm joking. Um, but their testicles are small and they don't mix sperm. And it's possible they never, some of these guys are younger. They never had a semen analysis before. We don't know if they had sperm before, but the likelihood is that most of these guys were normal before. They often say my testicles got smaller when I started you know, using stuff. And so the recovery may not happen in those guys. That's a definite uh, potential side effect.
Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. The All Eyes Visual VRP is a portable vision testing platform that includes visual fields, acuity, color vision testing, pupillometry, and extraocular motility. The visual leverages virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and augmented technologies to enable eye care providers to test for and monitor common eye diseases. Visit alleyes.com for more information. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. OIE Broadcasting is the emerging leader in social media. We use scientific entertainment to drive more patients into your office. Visit OIEBroadcasting.com and sign up today. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.